are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to this Thursday, September 23rd, 2021 edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, Managing Editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, Director Scouting at the Draft Network.com, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, and to get away for the day. So I'm sitting out here uh, overlooking the water on the deck, a little breeze, getting some fresh air, and collecting my thoughts because the news came through this morning that Tua Tagovailoa does indeed have broken ribs and will indeed not play in the Dolphins' Week 3 contest against the Las Vegas Raiders, which is a departure of what we had heard on Sunday night and Monday morning based on x-rays and MRI and so on and so forth. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot to digest, right, because your starting quarterback is out, and obviously the Dolphins' entire identity as an offense has uh, been worked from a schematic standpoint to try to accentuate what Tua Tungvaloa does best uh, for better and for worse, and we're seeing some of those limitations. We saw what happened when Buffalo decided they wanted to cap uh, the slant route coming in the middle of the field and, and play zone and, and catch coverage and kind of dare you to throw routes into their soft zone coverage in which they were just going to trigger and tee off because they were bringing a bunch of pressure. We went through yesterday a little bit about why I think this is a major opportunity for the Dolphins to be honest with themselves and decide, hey, we went out and got all these ass kickers up front, so let's run the football. Uh, I think this is even more accentuated with uh, Jacoby Brissett playing quarterback than it is with Tua Tungvaloa. Uh I, I think Tua has much better accuracy. I think he's much quicker within the pocket. Uh, Jacoby Brissett does, I think, have a little bit more ability to throw the rainbow deep balls. Uh, obviously, the challenge there is manufacturing enough time for those throws that develop downfield to develop for uh, Jacoby to take some of those deeper shots down the field, which I think aligns with his skill set. Uh, two is a little bit more inside of 25 yards with a lot of precision passing and accuracy. Uh, so I think that, you know, Brian Flores was asked uh, during the press conference on Wednesday is the change from Jacoby uh, to or from Tua to Jacoby, going to change what the offense looks like. And he, in some fashion, said no, and I kind of chuckled, and I said, I don't believe you, Coach. I respectfully do not believe that you're going to come out and you're going to run the same exact offense that was tailored for Tua with a starting quarterback in the NFL who has 30-whatever games as a starter um, in different systems across the league. Jacoby, I think you'll see more under center, opens the opportunity for more deep set back, more power concepts in the run game. Uh, I do think this is going to be a little bit of a different offense. And somebody had just tweeted to me no less than an hour ago. I really like their response. They said, I don't really like the RPO. You know, once, once you cap the slant route, uh, it kind of limits what you can do offensively, to which I, I said, yeah, you know, RPO can be a really effective piece of the puzzle, but it can't be your identity. And this opportunity for the Dolphins in Week 3 is going to be a really good opportunity for the Dolphins to ask themselves some hard questions about what else do we want to be offensively. And let's execute that this week. And then when two is back, we will assimilate those things together and hopefully have a more balanced offensive attack than what you saw in Week 2 against Buffalo. 
And you obviously did not see Miami make a lot of adjustments. You know, it's the third quarter. You're down 21 points. You're running wide zone RPO and throwing a slant to go along with it. And that's just not really a recipe for success. But it was what was installed for that specific game plan. So it's what they rolled with and tried to make some adjustments off of. Um, so I'm taking the two news in stride. Um, we all kind of understand as Dolphins fans, we've heard the rumors and the whispers and the, the, the speculation about the quarterback position in Miami. And um, obviously from Tua's perspective, he's dealing with some adversity right now. But his evaluation is continuing and ongoing. And I think about some of this Dolphins regime and their mentality with players that they've brought in that they've had more intimate connections with than a rookie quarterback like Kyle Van Noy. And uh, their willingness to move on from him after one year when Van Noy, to his credit, played hurt for Miami for the second half of the season. And granted, he was making a lot of money. He was a cap, made sense from a cap perspective. Van Ginkle was a development you didn't really expect. Uh, but Miami did not show loyalty in a number of players that they brought in in the 2020 offseason. And I'm sitting here hearing all these rumors, understanding that they're not coming out of nowhere. And whether it's fair or not, Tua Tungvaloa is in an evaluation window. And, and if you're somebody who hopes, and we all should be hoping because we're all Dolphins fans, and right now Tua Tungvaloa is the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, if you're somebody whose hopes and dreams on draft day in 2020 was that Tua Tungvaloa was going to be the guy to raise the Lombardi Trophy as the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins and finally get this team back to the promised land, that dream's on thin ice right now, in my opinion. And again, I can't say this enough. Uh, if the Dolphins were to make a decision to move on from Tua Tungvaloa in a short amount of time, you could point to a lot of things that were in place during his time here, however long it is, and say, yeah, you know, you, you probably could have and should have done that better. You probably should have had a veteran offensive tackle available. You probably should not have hired Shane Gailey if the plan was for Tua to play the majority of his rookie season. You probably should not have rotated Fitzpatrick in and out the way that you did. And for me, you know, I try to be really honest with you guys. I'm not trying to tell you what needs to happen or what you need to think, but I am trying to give you my perspective on the team. I'm trying to give you an explanation as to why the thought process is the way it is and what they're trying to do. But um, th this pressure that has just refused to go away, you know, it'd be one thing if, the, if all the rumors about Watson or whoever at quarterback, if that didn't exist, it would be like, man, he's off to a rough start. But like, stay buckled down, guys. We'll get it. But these Deshaun Watson rumors are not coming out of nowhere. And you know, Tua being hurt as a part of the evaluation for whoever is in the higher-ups of this organization that has their eye on somebody else, it just makes me a little anxious about what the ending of this story is going to look like. You know, and it might not be what we all thought and hoped and anticipated it could be. But that's a projection for another day. It's kind of just an observation that I have here in the moment. Uh, but we got the Raiders to tackle and, and worry about. And we, we do play the Raiders. And this game is only two. This season is only two games old. And uh, Tua Tagovailoa, he's not dead. Uh, he's 
got broken ribs, and he will be back, and probably sooner rather than later. Drew Brees uh, had 11 fractured ribs and a punctured lung and missed, what did he miss, four games? And they had a bye week in there. So Tua, depending on, obviously we don't know the exact medical situation, but it seems like this, you know, Maybe we're starring the trip to London as, as to a bounce back and you miss three games. And then we ask ourselves, okay, Jacoby Brissett, we're made, we made you one of the uh, more appealing backup quarterbacks in all of football. It's time for you to earn your paycheck. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the last 20 years. So whether you're shopping for engine control modules, brake parts, taillights, motor oil, or even new carpet for your classic or daily driver, RockAuto.com has everything you need in one easy-to-navigate catalog. And in just a few clicks, you can get everything delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, price of the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all of your auto parts needs and write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Wanted to follow up on one observation that I had had uh, in regards to Miami's ability to run the football against the Raiders in Week 3. And we kind of did the research here. And, and Miami's top six offensive linemen. Jackson, Kinley, Dieter, Hunt, Davis, and Eichenberg. And that's you know based on the pre-existing starting lineup, not how I would rank the top six. Uh, the average size of those players, according to the Miami Dolphins roster, is 321.7 pounds. They have two 250-plus pound tight ends who can play with their hand in the dirt in Hunter Long and Adam Shaheen. Durham Smythe's 246 or whatever, so he's not a small guy either. Do you guys know how many defensive linemen on the Raiders roster there are that exceed 300 pounds? One. Nose tackle, Jonathan Hankins. Do you know how many defensive linemen exist on the Raiders roster that exist that, that, that exceed 290 pounds? Three. Hankins at 340, Quentin Jefferson at 291, and Damian Square at 293. Do you guys know how many players, defensive linemen on the Raiders roster, exceed 280 pounds? Five. Jonathan Hankins at 340. Quentin Jefferson at 291. Damian Square at 293. Darius Phylon at 286. And Solomon Thomas at 280. The missing pieces of the puzzle here, defensive ends, Max Crosby, 255, Yannick Ngakwe, 246, Carl Nassib, 275, and Solomon Thomas, or excuse me, Malcolm Kuntz at 250. The average weight of everybody on the Raiders' defensive line versus the top six offensive linemen that the Raiders, or that the Dolphins are running out, the Raiders are giving up, on average, 43.6 pounds per player the entire defensive line of their active roster. 43.6 pounds. So, if you come out and you do run the ball, and you attack Max Crosby, and you attack Yannick Ngakwe, and you run directly at them with your powerful, big-bodied offensive guards, and you put a tight end on either side, and you force these guys to bump out and widen the gaps, what that does for me, ideally, 
is the Raiders in the early downs take Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby off the field in favor of Cleveland Farrell at 265 or Carl Nassib at 275 or Solomon Thomas at 280. And any combination of those three guys on the field as your defensive ends in the early downs when you come out in 12 personnel, great, terrific. Go ahead and take those guys off the fields. And that's when I want to queue up those four to six vertical two-man max protect deep shop concepts for the Miami Dolphins offense. And it all comes back to, you know, the everybody in modern football turns their nose up at the idea of oh, establish the run, right? But from a play-action passing perspective, the Dolphins need to establish the run and establish that we are going to run right at your smallest players up front. Because the Raiders in turn will say, it's first and ten. They've been running the ball at a decent clip. So let's go ahead and put the bigger guys out there to try and hold the point of attack a little better. And that's exactly when you come out with these play-action shots. F it, man. Max protect. Two-man route. Fuller and Waddle. One of them's running a deep post. The other one's running a deep over from the other side of the field. And somebody's running a, a shallow flat route as a leak who helps him pass protection to start. It's called um, Tim Jenkins, quarterback uh, guy on YouTube, just did a Jenkins Elite. He's excellent. Uh, just did an install of this, of this play concept. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian calls it Spear. Uh, Tim Jenkins referred to it as Samurai. Whatever system your coaches come from and hail from, right? It's that, that concept of we're going to push down the field. Um, we're going to try and hit some home runs. That is, I think, a, a really effective way for Miami to attack this cover three that Gus Bradley's defense traditionally is because you're going to put that middle of the field safety and that corner who's dropping off on the uh, the post pattern, you're going to put them in a bind because they've either got to sink with the post and not let them get behind you and open up that void for that deep crosser, or they're going to drive on that crosser and you hit the post over the top. You're going to have to pick and choose your spots with it. Uh, but here's the good news. If I'm Miami and I'm coming into this game, and I think about the Raiders and who they are as a team, and I understand they're 2-0. and uh, There's a lot of variables aside of the quarterback situation in Miami playing with their backup quarterback that sit in Miami's favor. The Raiders are 2-0. and Probably a little fat and happy. Content, we beat Pittsburgh, and we beat Baltimore. Oh, we're living the good life, 2-0. and The Raiders are traditionally... Not a very disciplined football team. Traditionally, special teams is not their M.O. Those are you know, coaching and discipline. Granted, the Dolphins' offensive coaches had laps, got lapped multiple times in coaching in Week 2. We'll see what Week 3 brings. I hope this, this coaching staff and this team ask themselves some hard questions and they address some of the roots of the issues at hand. The Raiders also, uh, defensively, they've got not a lot of effective play at the cornerback position. And they've got two safeties uh, who are rookies that they went out and drafted three, if you include Divine Diablo, who plays Will Linebacker for them. So you got a lot of inexperience in the middle of the field. If you look at the Raiders' depth chart, 
It's Ngakwe and Crosby are playing out of their minds right now. Keyword being right now. Uh, they are playing at a pace that at, at least Ngakwe was a stud in Jacksonville. Crosby's never played at this level for his career to this point. So if you can at least slow them down or alternatively get them off the field on the early downs and take your shots on the early downs, we can go from there. That's something I think works in their favor. Uh, I look at this matchup, and I look at when the Raiders have the ball. Derek Carr is averaging 400 yards passing per game. It's a lofty number. Here's the good news. The Dolphins, one of the most expensive secondaries in all football. I think physically speaking, you can match wits with a lot of what the Raiders bring in the passing game. Uh, The Raiders' offensive line, uh, it has been missing to this point in time, both starting guards. Jermaine Illuminar is going to start at right guard for the Raiders. It was added to the team like three weeks ago. Uh, you got a rookie, Alex Leatherwood, at right tackle. I think uh, Emmanuel Ogba can probably give him some fits. The Raiders are averaging 0.1 yards per rush before contact on every rush they have taken thus far this season. I see no reason why, and Josh Jacobs didn't play in Week 2, and he did not participate in practice on Wednesday. Whether Jacobs plays or not, I see very little reason why Miami's interior front should not be able to dominate the line of scrimmage and force the Raiders to be one-dimensional and get into a lot of passing downs, which Miami, I think from a personnel perspective, can match their wide receivers. The X factor is obviously Darren Waller. And if they're humming and they're on the same page like they were back in Week 16 last year, they're obviously going to be very hard to stop. Derek Carr also uh, had an ankle tweak that he's full go for. He practiced without limitations on Wednesday, so he'll be fully healthy for the game. Uh, But that, that may impact his mobility a little bit. I say all that to say this. Um, I picked the Dolphins ahead of this game to win this game at the beginning of the season. And yes, Jacoby Brissett being present is probably going to force this offense to play a little bit close for the vest, but it's also going to get them out of some of their bad habits from what I perceive to be some of the roots of their issue and pass protection and play calling and, and so much of the RPO and not blocking up the fronts uh, effectively and consistently. I think that's something that's really going to help them get their wits about them. And I think they can physically match up effectively enough where they can move the ball. Am I going to sit here and tell you the Raiders or the Dolphins are going to score 31 points against the Raiders? No, I'm not. But I think you could score 21 to 24, 25 points. And if you do that with this defense and this matchup with a Raiders team that has not run the ball effectively at all, I think you can still win this football game. And that's what this is all about, right? Just like we said earlier, Jacoby Brissett, you're out here. We're going to probably see a couple games of you. Can you bridge the gap effectively and earn your paycheck? Can you make those handful of throws for chunk explosive plays if the recipe to get the Raiders into a situation where you can take the shots down the field materializes the way that we're theorizing it would on this podcast? If the answer is yes, I think the Dolphins can still win this football game. Speaking of football games, 
the football season is back and all eyes are on the gridiron and as always bet online is your number one spot for all of the pro and college football betting action this fall with a new updated site and interface with more odds props and contests betonline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus that's double your initial deposit just for signing up don't forget to use the promo code NFL100 from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on. Dolphins fans, listen. I have an incredible app opportunity for anybody and everybody who buys gas. To, you need to know. Get upside. My listeners are saving up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store and use promo code TOUCHDOWN and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to 50 cents cash back per gallon on your first fill-up. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to 50 cents back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no cash. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon or other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to $0.50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. My, uh, my parting thought this afternoon or this evening or this morning, whenever or wherever you're listening, and I thank all of you for your listenership and, and making Locked On Dolphins a part of your day, is kind of a big picture. Because obviously, there's been a lot of questions from a lot of fans about what ifs. What if Chris Greer had done this instead of that and that instead of this, and they'd pick these players instead of those players in the 2020 draft, and so on and so forth. And uh, Very... <sighs> very volatile environment right now from Dolphins fans as it pertains to discussing what was perceived with 2020 hindsight to have could have been, right? But I go back and I ask myself a singular question for this franchise relative to where we were when this process started. The stated goal of Chris Greer, Brian Flores, and the Miami Dolphins when they underwent the rebuild was to build a long-term sustainable winning franchise They won 10 games last year and you know obviously if there is a regression this year that's going to be a disappointment for everybody who has this team near and dear to their heart but I at least look at where this team is from a talent perspective even amid what are perceived to be some missed opportunities I look at where this team is from a contract and salary cap perspective. I look at where this team is from a youth perspective and the development, hopeful development and continued development of at least some of the young players to continue to grow and evolve and get better. And I don't think anybody can look at this team, no matter what the outcome is of this season, and say that, forecasting them forward, they're not in a better spot than they were when the process started at the end of the Gase era. They still have extra draft assets to work with. They're top two in the NFL in salary cap spending power for the 2022 offseason. 
You've got a young quarterback on the roster that a lot of people want to believe in. You've got a lot of young talent on the roster in general, and some of those players like Noig Benogany, maybe Austin Jackson, you want to put him in that bucket and bury him already. Like They're not going to fulfill their potential based on where they were drafted. Uh, and there, there is some volatility with the draft, and that's the risk of building and drafting developing is you're putting faith in young players and your ability to develop them instead of getting known assets and knowing what an NFL player is going to look like when he gets into your building. Um, but I also think about the Cleveland Browns, right? And the Browns, uh, they were a laughing stock for 20 years, and the Dolphins effectively did a Spark Notes version of what the Browns did in their rebuild. It took the Browns about twice as long, and then they fired Sashi Brown and Hugh Jackson, and they, they brought in Joe Douglas and brought in Freddie Kitchens, and he obviously wasn't the right fit at coach, and then Stefanski comes in. But from a player personnel perspective, um, the transition from Sashi Brown, and you look at what the Browns did in their quote-unquote process and rebuilding effort, uh, when they had a massive surplus of picks. Go back and look at the draft class when they drafted Corey Coleman in the first round. You want to feel bad about a draft class with just uber picks at your disposal? Go look at that one. It makes this 2020 Dolphins class right now, even with all the questions, look like a 10 out of 10. But they had all this cap space. They held all these extra draft picks and capital at their disposal. And they brought in John Dorsey, to make the next wave of personnel decisions. And he took advantage of what had been built up over time there from an assets perspective to put the Browns in the position that they're at now, where the Browns are arguably one of the three most complete rosters in all of football. Miami, even if this year does not end the way we want it to, and hope it will, are extremely well positioned now versus March of 2018, or 2019, excuse me, to make this transition of power. Now, it makes whatever changes would potentially come in a letdown year in 2021, makes whatever changes and tinkering is done uh, all that much more important. Or if they choose to keep the incumbents in place across the board, then the pressure's really on those guys to hit it down. But, you know, this window is not closed if the Dolphins don't make the leap we hope they do in 2021. And that is a point of emphasis. And maybe it's me as somebody who loves this football team who's kind of bargaining with like, okay, week two against Buffalo did not look good. Like, where is this team going to go from here? But I don't, I would love to hear if you are listening to this show and you want to make an argument that the Dolphins are in an equal spot now to where they were, or a worse spot now, than where they were in March of 2019 when this process first started, I would love to hear from you. Because from a sustainability, from an ability to level up the roster from here, from both inward development and spending power in cap space and having cap flexibility and extra draft assets at your disposal, Miami's in a good spot. Now, like, the players on the field got to take care of their business. The coaches got to make sure that they're doing the right things to get these players in the best position to succeed. But you know, there, there's a lot of good here in this process that Miami is still poised regardless of if they win 12 games in 2021 or they win, heaven forbid, they win seven games. Oh, I'd be so miserable. But if they did, you know, 
this upcoming offseason still has a lot of ripe opportunity for Miami to follow that transition and segue that the Cleveland Browns did to where they now find themselves in the midst of a prime Super Bowl window because they had the surplus of assets to then go be aggressive and fill in the blanks on their roster that they knew that they had after the draft and develop window, and they saw what players stuck and what players did. Just food for thought. This is Kyle Krabs. I want to thank you guys all for listening to the show. We've got Power to the Pod coming up on Friday. We're going to do a live stream on Thursday nights. You're going to want to make sure you don't miss it. We're going to do it just ahead of Thursday Night Football. The YouTube channel, Locked on Dolphins. Make sure you hit like, subscribe to the channel. Thank all of you who subscribe to the podcast. Cheers. Have a great evening. Hope to talk with you guys again soon. Fins up and keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins.